I'm really excited about our series. We're talking about the Trinity. And what, and what is it? What does this mean? And, and this is a really difficult concept uh, for many. And so we want to really unpack it over a few weeks. This isn't something to just talk about one Sunday and, all right, go home and believe it, right? We want to really open up and create an environment that we can talk and ask questions. And, and so our first week, two weeks ago, we had an overview message, kind of giving the concept, what is the Trinity? What are we saying? What do we mean by this? Last week, we talked about how God is one, He's one in essence. He's unified. He's one. And today, we're talking about the fact that this one God exists eternally in three persons, right? And that's kind of the biblical definition of Trinity. The Bible shows God existing in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I know this is, this is a, a, a difficult concept, but it's so important for us to understand because, you know, you could be talking to me and get my name wrong, and that's okay, like in a conversation, and there'll be no problem. But if you think I am a five-foot-five Asian woman, you know, you're going to be talking to me. I'm, who, who are you talking? That's not me, right? We're not, we don't have a relationship at this point. And so it's so important for us to understand it. So when we get to this, this... this concept can be so challenging uh, because God is so bigger than we are, right? If you look at ancient Mesopotamian religions, uh, Greek, Roman gods, you, you can get the idea, yeah, this was made by a man, right? Like, and specifically a dude, right? The, the gods are petty, they're vengeful, they're hormonal, like teenagers, you look at that and it's like, that's the gods? That's who created us? I'm a little bit more moral and superior than them. But when we talk about the God of the Bible and we start to see a God and we try to understand one God in three persons, it, it, you get the idea, yeah, you are bigger and above creation because there's nothing in creation that I can look at and compare to you. Nothing to get my mind wrapped around and say, yeah, that's like God. And so when we come to a point where we're just having to submit ourselves to scriptures, that's the point where we say, that's the God that exists. The only one that I can't comprehend, that has to be him. And so we're, we're, we're going through this, and we, and we ask the question, where does this start? Like, why do we believe Trinity? It's not a term that's found in the Bible. Why do we believe this? Because it's from the beginning to the end of Scripture, it's there, right? So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Genesis 1, or you can follow along with me on the screen. Genesis 1, 26 says this, Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And it's kind of hard to notice in the English, but the original language, Hebrew, makes it very clear. When it says God said, it's talking about God in the singular. It's not saying they said. God said, singular, singular in the grammar. And yet he continues to talk to himself and says, let us, in the plural, make human beings in our image. You might be thinking, well, that doesn't really prove Trinity. That doesn't prove anything. It doesn't. But what it does is from the very beginning of Scripture, God started to just crack open the door and let the light shine onto who he is to show humanity who is the God that created us. And, and this is an idea that we talk about, theologians talk about, as progressive revelation, that from the beginning to the end of the Bible, we start to see revealed different things, whether it's heaven and hell whether it's the kingdom, whether it's future things, what's going to happen in the future, what we call eschatology, whether it's understanding what is salvation. It's much more than just be forgiven of sins. It's much more than that. It's the redemption and being recreated into the human being that I was meant to be. And so 
God's nature is one of these things that continues to be revealed through the end. One of the passages that is really important for us today is actually found in Matthew. Chapter 3, 16 to 17, it says this. After his baptism, Jesus, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. So we start to, as we enter into the New Testament, start to see a clearer image of this. And this isn't the only passage, so don't think it stops here. Okay? At first, we see Jesus in the water of the Jordan River. Second, we see the Holy Spirit coming down in the form of a dove. And then we hear the voice of the Father giving approval of the Son. And this is important because some people assume, well, if the Trinity is true, then why do we have all three persons there? That, that, that doesn't make sense. And it's because we start to resort to this idea, and then we're going to get into this, that if Jesus is God, if He is divine, He can't be with the Father because the Father is God. And that is a misunderstanding of what we mean by Trinity. So when we talk about Trinity, we're not saying that the Son is the Father. The Son's not the Father, the Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Spirit, but we are all saying that they share of the same essence, the same substance. There's one God eternally in three persons. Anytime you can read uh, some of the holy dead guys in the church, it's always really good for your faith. And one of these guys that talks about this is Tertullian. He was the first uh, quoted church father on the Trinity, and he was born in 155 A.D., North Africa, uh, one of the early church fathers, very big and important into this conversation. And he said this, we worship unity in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the person nor dividing the substance or essence, you could say. And this is really important because I don't, something that I will hear uh, continually about different doctrines of the Bible, but particularly about the Trinity, is that people will say things like, yeah, but that's a, that's a concept that was invented by the Catholic Church. It's a Middle Age theology, or, or maybe after Constantine, when they came in power, you know, they corrupted things. The poor Catholics, they get beat up all the time for things like this. But this shows us that's not true. This was in discussion, already uh, vocalized and being understood far before uh, the Catholic Church was as it is today. This was believed by the earliest disciples. Right after the resurrection of Jesus, we have people worshiping Him as divine, as God. And then to, to, to be able to understand the concept of Trinity was just right after that, to be able to put it into words. And so for me, I don't know, it's just very encouraging to see the early church already believing and worshiping as we do. And, and as Tertullian shows us, the language is very important, how we describe this. Even in this series, uh, just like Tertullian, we make a distinction between being and essence and person, right? We say there's one God, there's one essence, they share the same essence, but he eternally exists in three persons, so just as we talked about last week, God is one because he is unified. There's, we don't believe in three gods. There's one God, and yet he has expressed himself and lives in community in three persons eternally. And historically, this language is really important because when we talk about persons, it, it shows how they relate. We're not talking about three things, three essences or abstract ideas, but these are three persons because persons interact. And what's important as well to note to our definition is there is one God who exists eternally in three persons. 
Right? This is an eternal arrangement. The Trinity didn't come to exist when Jesus was born. He always existed as triune, as one. Before Jesus was born, He existed as God from eternity past. And as a matter of fact, the Bible calls Him the Word. And so if, if this concept is new to you, uh, the, the Word, this language actually comes from John, the Gospel of John chapter 1. And, and I would encourage you, if, if, if you're struggling with this concept, read John chapter 1 this week and just meditate on it. And that's where uh, our our evangelist, John, talks about Jesus as the Word, the pre-incarnate Word who took flesh and dwelt among us. He he literally, in in the Greek, it says he tabernacled among us. And so that was on purpose to show for those who understood the Old Testament, uh, when God was traveling around with Moses and the people, he was in a tabernacle. And so the word he uses, literally, he, he made his tent, he tabernacled among us. And that's what we call the incarnation. God taking flesh and coming into our neighborhood. As we try to understand this concept, one common error that denies the Trinity is the, the fallacy, this, this wrong understanding called modalism. That there is one God who appears in three different forms or three different modes. And I think whether you've been in church for a long time or not, we, it's easy to fall into this thinking Right? That, that God, instead of existing eternally as three persons, kind of interacts with creation in three different ways or in three different modes. Right? From, from the Old Testament, He was the Father. And in the New Testament, we have the Son, Jesus. And then now we have Him in a different form of the Holy Spirit who, who dwells in us, who works in people's lives. And, and that would be a very wrong understanding. Maybe to help give an analogy, you can think of movies. And when there's an actor that plays different characters in the same movie, right? So Austin, uh, Mike Myers, who played Austin Powers and Dr. Evil, uh, or Coming to America with Eddie Murphy, he played the prince and two different characters, right? All the same. And so modalism is this idea where we have God sometimes playing the part of the Father, sometimes playing the part of the Son, and sometimes the Holy Spirit, Right? And there's been kind of different forms of this throughout history. Uh, today, there exist different groups that embrace that teaching. Uh, the United Pentecostal troop, Church groups with the word oneness or Jesus only. And, and I don't say this to insult them or, or to act superior or anything like that. Uh, to give them credit, they try very hard, they're very passionate about maintaining and holding the unity and the oneness of God. But it's just that understanding of the triune God misses the concept of what is actually being taught in Scripture, right? For example, when we look at Matthew 3, this image of Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit coming down, and the Father talking, if modalism were true, we would only have Jesus, right? He can't be in the form of the Son and modalism be true and still have the Holy Spirit and the Father there. And that's why this passage is very important for the understanding of triuneness, of our God who is three in one. Sometimes uh, I hear the objection then, well, who was Jesus praying to in the garden, right? And this shows a modalist understanding, not a trinity understanding of God. And so uh, people might get hung up on the Jesus is God. Well, then how is God praying to God? Well, we're not saying that the Father is the Son, though. Yeah? We're saying that the Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Spirit, the Spirit's not the Son. And so Jesus, especially in his humanity, as he, in order to redeem and fix all that is broken in us, takes on our humanness, 
That person of the Trinity, in also embracing his humanness, prays to the Father, right? And so, so when, we, when we struggle with that, we have to remember, no, that's a modalist understanding. That's not actually Trinity, right? I'm misunderstanding that concept. So when we say Jesus is praying, he's not praying to himself, obviously. He's praying to the Father. Modalism also misses the mark because it denies the idea of relationship, within the Trinity. 1 John 4, 8 says this, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Okay? Uh, modalism undercuts the important truth that God is love, and, and, and we have to think about this. We are not saying that God simply loves, like he does the actions. We're saying, the Bible is saying that God is intrinsically love, that it is his character. He is the perfect image and example of it, that he himself is love. And if God is love, if this is what the Bible is claiming, and we're saying that Trinity is not possible, then how was he love before creation, right? We would think sometimes, well, he created humans to express love. Well, that's weird because that means God's dependent on us, right? Like he needed us for some sort of fulfillment, and the Bible certainly doesn't give us that idea. No, if, if God is love, then he had to have been already being love and expressing love before creation, right? So how does that happen? Who was there with? The Father was with the Son who was with the Spirit. And we see the interrelationship of the Godhood so that God can express love perfectly without even the need of humanity, with us. The Trinity explains how he is love from eternity past. Three persons of the one God experience love among themselves. We relate personally with each member of the Trinity as we discover their unique roles in creation, salvation, and prayer. And this is where it gets exciting. Why is the doctrine and understanding of Trinity so important? And if you read early church uh, theologians and fathers and mothers of the church, they are very passionate about how the Trinity actually affects us, and it does. In creation, we see all three are involved, right? The Father planned the work of creation, the Son did the work of creation, and the Spirit energized the work of creation. And so if you don't know, the second passage that you can look at this week is Genesis 1 and 2, and we see this play out, right? God speaks and His words create everything. And we get this beautiful creation account of, John, uh, of Genesis chapter 1, of God creating uh, everything in six days and resting on the seventh. And then we get this second creation account. In Genesis chapter 2, where God creates and the, and the Holy Spirit is hovering over creation. And so we get the interaction in these two creation accounts of how the triune God is there present in creation. All of them are involved. All of them are involved in salvation, in the fixing and restoring of humanity. In 1 Peter 1, 2, it says this, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. And his spirit has made you holy. So we have the Father and the Spirit. And as a result, you have obeyed him and you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when we look at this passage, the Father initiates salvation. The Son died on the cross to accomplish it, conquering sin and death and my mess. And the Spirit brings forth the fruit of salvation in people. The three persons of the Trinity all share the same attributes and the same essence. It shows that the Son, the Father, and the Spirit all will, right? They mourn. They rejoice. 
We see that they are all fully God. And we're going to talk about this next week. And so I would really challenge you and encourage you to come back and understand what it means that the Father is fully deity, the Son is fully deity, and the Spirit is fully deity. And yet, at the same time, they work in perfect unity, yet they have different roles. They have different roles in all of these things. Prayer is a great example of how this affects us personally. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, right? Our Father who is in heaven. Second, we have access to the Father through what Jesus did in Hebrews 10, 19. He says this, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. We can draw near to God to talk to him freely because of what Jesus did on the cross. And then third, the Holy Spirit brings us into the intimate relationship with God as our Father. Romans 8, 15 to 16 says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for the spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And so we can address God as Abba. That's kind of like saying Daddy because of the Holy Spirit's work, right? The Holy Spirit makes that possible, and he is involved even in our prayer life. So we don't make a big deal or a fuss if someone spontaneously prays to Jesus or the Holy Spirit because we believe they're both fully God. They are both the, the, the personhood of our one God. Of course, there's a lot more the Bible has to say about how Jesus and the Holy Spirit are involved in prayer, but generally that is the pattern that we see to the Father because of what the Son has done, being empowered and brought into his presence by the Spirit. As we conclude this idea, I want to share an image that's been really helpful for me personally, um, and it's the idea of a dance, right? Now, I'm not a good dancer. Like, I, I stink at dancing, honestly. Uh, no one would want to dance with me because your toes will hurt afterwards. Uh, but the, the early church fathers actually thought of the dance as a means of explaining Trinity. And the Greek word, if you're a geek like me with Bible stuff, the word's perichoresis, okay? Uh, and it comes from the word Peri, which means around, it's where we get perimeter from, and Korean, which means uh, uh, to, to make room, to give way or rotation, right? It's where we get choreography from. Yeah? And so uh, Jonathan Marlowe, he, he kind of explained, he's a, a teacher, a Methodist teacher, and he kind of explained it this way. The theologians in the early church tried to describe this wonderful reality that we call Trinity. And if every, any of you have ever been to a Greek wedding, you have seen their distinctive way of dancing, and it is perichoresis. Uh, they, they start to go in circles. There's at least three dancers, and they start to go in circles, weaving in and out in this very beautiful pattern of motion. They start to go faster and faster and faster, all the while staying in perfect rhythm and in sync with each other. Eventually, they're dancing so quick, yet so effortlessly, that as you look at them, it just becomes a blur. It's just one big dance. Their individual identities are part of a larger dance. The early church fathers looked at that dance and said, that's what the Trinity is like. This harmonious set of relationships in which there's a mutual giving and receiving. The relationship is called love, and that's what the Trinity is all about. So perichoresis literally means, theologically, the necessary being in one anotherness of the three divine persons of the Trinity because of their single divine essence. The necessary being in one anotherness. 
Where do we get that idea from? I want to conclude ending with Jesus' prayer for us. John chapter 17 said this, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. So not just the Father is in Jesus, there's divinity in that man. No, the Son is also in the Father. And they may be and, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me. So they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May, we, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. I hope that through this series that all of us will will grow in our understanding of God and who he is. Like who exactly are we worshiping? Because the greater image of a bigger God will naturally draw me into a life of worship. And I love it. Like, I want to be with that God. And if he loves me as he loves the Son, if the Father loves me as he loves the Son, man, I want to experience that love, right? I want to go through life experiencing it and being impacted by an active love, not just a theological concept that you are loved, but he is actively giving and showing love. But what would be really sad is that if we walked away and it was only a concept, Because I don't know if you hear that. In Jesus' prayer, what I hear is an invitation, right? It's an invitation to step into and be invited into this dance of the Trinity, right? That the Father, Son, and Spirit are inviting us to just be clumsy dancers, but enter into the life of the triune God and to dance, to dance the dance of grace and mercy and love and receive the love that is given and shared between Father, Son, and Spirit. That's our invitation from our triune God. We're going to take a moment of prayer. I'd just like to pray, and uh, you can join me in prayer. Let's just pray. And I don't know if you're like me, but it's easy to just throw your hands up in big concepts and say, okay, if you say so, God. And I don't want that for my life. Like, I want to enter into the dance of the triune God and experience. I want to have fellowship, communion with this God. And so let's just pray that he makes that real, that we would genuinely step into, onto the dance floor, into the life of the God that lives. You can pray with me. You can repeat after my words and just make your prayer, uh, this prayer your prayer, if you would like to. Whether you've been a Christian for a long time or not, that, that we are just saying yes to this God. God, Father, Son, and Spirit, we say yes to your invitation. We want to enter into the life of the triune God. I want to experience you. Yes, help me to know you and what you are like, but may you be in me and me in you as the son prayed 2,000 years ago. Help me with this concept 
so that it can be a reality in my life. Because of what Jesus did, I say yes to the drawing of the Spirit. Amen.